so many books, so little time. If you've ever said, I really want to read the Bible, I just can't fit it all in. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. This is the Bible Book Club. We'll read it to you and help you make sense of the most important book you'll ever read. All right, we are going to continue today in our story with Joseph and the Technicolor dream coat. But last week, I'm going to just catch you up really quick. Jacob delayed in the cities of Sukkoth and Shechem. He left his family, opened a temptation in those cities, reminding us again of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Dinah decided to go play, find some pagan friends in the city. And then she became a target of Sechem, the son of the ruler. And he, unfortunately, there was a tragedy. He raped her. The first rape we see in the Bible. And then Simeon and Levi come up with a strategy to avenge their sister. And they kill a whole bunch of people all at once. And then Jacob finally makes the move that he was supposed to make anyway. He goes to Bethel where he's told, like his fathers before him, to be fruitful, increase in number. And then also, sadly, last episode, we had to say goodbye to Rachel. She died in Ramah on the way to Bethlehem. So here we find our new hero, Joseph. Right. But before we do, we're going to have to dispense with another brother. So I call this, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because we're going to talk about One two... of the best movies of all time, if <laughs> yeah. I do say so myself. <laughs> We're going to talk about two brothers, one who's at the end of his story and one who's at the beginning. For Joseph, this title will be particularly appropriate because he's going to go missing. Before we get to dive into our near new hero, however, Joseph, the brother who actually has too many brothers, we must dispense with Jacob's twin brother Esau. There is a pattern that you may have noticed for finishing off the storyline of the family members who don't play a future role in the bigger story. The Bible just lists their ancestry and then they are no more. Esau is not our star in this show. And so he must go. So here is his family tree from chapter 36. This is the account of the family line of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took his wives from the women of Canaan, Adah, daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Olamadah, daughter of Anah, the granddaughter of Zibion the Hivite, also Basmath, the daughter of Ishmael and the sister of Nebaioth. Adah bore Esif to Esau, Basmoth bore Reuel, and Olamadah bore Jehuv, Jalam, and Korah. These were the sons of Esau, who were born to him in Canaan. Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the members of his household, as well as his livestock and all his other animals, and all the goods he had acquired in Canaan, and moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. Their possessions were too great for them to remain together. The land where they were staying could not support them both because of their livestock. So Esau, that is Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. This is the account of the family line of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. And before we go much farther in reading these, just note, we are going to speed it up a little for you because it's a lot of names and a long list. And while Heather has a great voice, I'm going to mess them all up anyway. Mess them up anyways. But we want to be true to allowing you to listen so you can listen on warp speed. (laughs) These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, son of Esau's wife. Edah, and Raul, the son of Esau's wife, Basmath, the sons of Elipaz, Timon, Omar, Zepho, Gadim, and Kenaz. Esau's son, Eliphaz, also had a concubine named Timnah, who bore him Amalek. These were the grandsons of Esau's wife, Adah, the sons of Raul, Neha, Zerah, Sama, Mizah. These were the grandsons of Esau's wife, Basmath, the sons of Esau's wife, Olamah, daughter of Anah, and granddaughter of Zibion, who she bore to Esau, Zehuth, Zalum, 
and Korah. These are the chiefs among Esau's descendants, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, chiefs Timon, Omar, Zaphu, Kenaz, Korah, Gadam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs descended from Eliphaz and Edom. They were grandsons of Adam. The sons of Esau's son, Raul, chiefs Nam, Math, Zerah, Shamath, and Mistah. These are the chiefs descended from Raul in Edom. They were the grandsons of Esau, wife, Basmath. The sons of Esau's wife, Ulamedabah, chiefs Jehu, Jalam, Korah. These were the chiefs descended from Esau's wife, Ulamedabah, daughter of Anah. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. These were the sons of Seir, the Horite, who was living in the region, Lotan, Zobal, Zibion, Anah, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. These sons of Seir in Edom were Horite chiefs. The sons of Lotan, Horai, Hoam, Timnah was Lotan's sister. The sons of Shobal, Avalon, Mata, Ebal, Zepho, and Onam. The sons of Zibion, Aya, Anna, and this is the Izon, who discovered the hot springs in the desert while he was grazing the donkeys of his father Zibion, the children of Anna, Dishion, Olamedabah, daughter of Anna, the sons of Dishon, Hemadon, Eshbon, Idaron, and Kiron, the sons of Ezer, Bilhan, Zavon, and Kaon, the sons of Dishon, Uz, and Aran. These were the Hittite chiefs, Lotan, Zibol, Zibon, Anna, Dishon, Ezer, Zishon. These were the Hittite chiefs according to their divisions in the land of Seir, the rulers of Edom. These were the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. Bela, son of Beor, became the king of Edom, his city named Dinabah. When Bela died, Joab, son of Zerah, from Bozarath succeeded him as king. When Jobab died, Husham from the land of the Temanites succeeded him as king. When Husham died, Hadad son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king. His city was named Avith. When Hadad died, Samalah from Maxkarath succeeded him as king. When Hamalah died, Saul from Rebuth on the river succeeded him as king. When Shaul died, Balhanan son of Akbor succeeded him as king. When Balhanan son of Akbor died, Hadad succeeded him as king. His city was named Pau. His wife's name was Methshabel daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mehazah. These were the chiefs descended from Esau by name according to their clans and regions. Timnah, Avalah, Zabath, Olibah, Elah, Pinon, Kenaz, Timon, Mizbar, Magadil, and Iram. These were the chiefs of Edom according to their settlements in the land they occupied. This is the family line of Esau, the father of the Edomites. And you should just know that we had much debate on how to handle all of this lineage. And I will note that some of these people will show up again. Some of these sons are kings, and you'll hear about some of them at some point. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> However, we chose to handle it this way because this Esau is then going to ride off into the sunset and not become a central part of our story. No, and, yeah, and really, if you're looking for the name for one of your next children, you're really struggling to find a unique name. You just got several hundreds of ideas. <laughs> and I know people who have named their kids some of these names, and it's fabulous. We love them. There you go. There you go. Okay, so before we close out on Esau, the unfavored brother, not the brother chosen, Jacob was chosen. I just want a quick recap. He was given a patriarchal blessing in Genesis 27, but he is not the heir to the promise. He just didn't have the heart nor the faith for it. And then last chapter 35, he did do a good thing. He and Jacob, you know, they reconciled and they bury Isaac together and they have this testimony of forgiveness. That is a good thing. His descendants did become a nation. They were the Edomites. And unfortunately, the envy and enmity between the brothers lived on in their descendants, despite the reconciliation. And they did have some battles. As time wore on, war broke out and the brother races, Israelites and the Edomites shed each other's blood in 1 Samuel 14, 47, 2 Samuel 8, 14, 1 Kings 11, 15, 
16.1, Chronicles 18, 19, 20, etc. You can find more mention of Edomites and the battle. And I do want to say that while we are saying that he rides off into the sunset, there is a purpose to studying Esau. And it's not always that when we study people that it's for the right reasons. We can study what not to do and how exactly. not to have your heart posture towards God. And you can take from that and learn from the mistakes of the past so that we don't repeat it. Exactly. All right, now we get to turn to Joseph, the the favored brother. I want to give an overview first of Joseph's story, which really occurs from chapters 38 to 50. So the rest of this book, the setting is Egypt. And let me explain this concept about Egypt, just so you know, in the grander story of the book of the Bible, God uses settings in the Bible to link different stories. And he uses the setting of Egypt, in this case, as a bad choice in the Old Testament to make a point in the New Testament. And I'm going to tell you how, so you can understand that to the Israelites who really knew these stories well, this this story in the New Testament would be a big point to them. All right, so the first story about Egypt that we had as a bad place was when Abraham made the wrong choice and went to Egypt to escape Famine. Note, it was because of famine. Remember, he lied about Sarah being his wife. That was Genesis 12. (laughs) The first time. (laughs) Yeah, the first time. In the end, you'll recall that God rescued Abraham by sending a plague on Pharaoh when Pharaoh took Sarah into his household. Today, we're going to read the second story about Egypt, but not the whole thing. So pay attention. Jacob's sons are about to make another bad choice that will eventually land the whole nation in Egypt because of another famine. And we're going to cover that story in the next five chapters. This time, and we're not going to cover this in Genesis, but Exodus, they're going to land there for 400 years. That is many generations. Yes. The 400 (laughs) years is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's prophecy to Abraham back in Genesis 15. If you'll recall, it said, Then the Lord said to him, to Abraham, Know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward, they will come out with great possessions. God keeps his promises. Yeah, just like Abraham came out with great possessions. But it all starts here because the brothers make this bad choice with Joseph. It's going to end them up eventually by the time we get to to chapter, you know, 50 in Egypt. In the end, God will use it for good to grow the nation and will rescue them by sending plagues on Pharaoh. Does this sound familiar? Just like Abraham. Bad choice, go to Egypt. God rescues them with plagues. It's kind of mirroring each other. Okay, transition with me here. Those are bad examples of Egypt being a bad place. The third story I want to talk about is in the New Testament, where God makes a point to the Jews by flipping the setting. So same setting, Egypt, but he flips it. In other words, Egypt's not going to be bad anymore. So check this out. In Matthew, New Testament, when Jesus is born, Herod, the king of Jerusalem, is trying to kill all the Hebrew baby boys because he's heard from the wise men, remember, that there's going to come a king from the Hebrew baby. Just like Pharaoh, he's killing all the Hebrew baby boys. 
Pharaoh did that in Egypt in the Old Testament. The Hebrews were becoming too um, too prolific. Uh, prolific. Thank you. And he he said, "Kill the baby boys when they're born." So he's flipping it though. It's now in Jerusalem that the baby boys are being killed, not Egypt. So hang with me. So Mary and Joseph take Jesus and flee from Jerusalem to Egypt. Uh-huh. So they take refuge. Yes, in Egypt, instead where of they Egypt. came out of slavery. Exactly. Bible bender yeah. for me today. <laughs> Thank you. Instead of Egypt being a bad place, it's now a good place. So let me explain if you aren't uh, haven't been listening to us for a long time. A Bible bender here on Bible Book Club is something that just like blows your mind about the Bible. What is your Bible bender? That's my Bible <laughs> bender for today. And if you are new here and you have not started at the beginning and you don't like reading the last chapter of the books like Susan sometimes does, go back and listen to the first episode because it'll make a whole lot more sense. But anyway, this is my Bible bender. And just so you know, I always know that I'm making sense if Heather gets it because she doesn't she doesn't know what I'm gonna say before I say it. So I know if Heather gets it, I'm on the right the right path. Okay, so hopefully you're with Heather and you get this. Mind Um, so like I said, Jerusalem becomes the bad place and Egypt becomes a place of protection from Herod and Jerusalem who's behaving like Pharaoh used to in Egypt. So now Jerusalem, the promised land, is the bad place and Egypt is the good place. What a sad thing. Sad thing. And that's the point God is making to his people is that they have become like Egypt. They have become evil. Bible and he's bender mad about it. Two. And Egypt is the safe place. And that is why Mary and Joseph had to take Jesus there. So just know... The, the huge Bible bender for me in studying the Bible is that how all of this works together to tell mm. us the story mm. and that God knew this ahead of time. All right. So that's that's the setting is in Egypt, which is important. The timing, we're only about 10 years after the family returned to Canaan, Jacob's family. And remember, Canaan is the promised land, but they don't really own it yet. There are lots of other people living there who don't share their relationship with God. And that is important. And that is going to be a battle for years to come. All right. Our theme comes from our theme for this book and for Joseph's kind of tenure comes from Joseph in chapter 50. And we're not going to get to it yet, but I want you to know the theme ahead of time because we're going to see it played out in so many little moments in the next 10 chapters. And that is this, how man's intentions for bad can be used by God for good. And it happens every day in our lives. What we intend, what man intends to harm us or, or what we intend not being in our right minds, God uses for good. And he's going to use people with past mistakes for good. He's going to use this terrible thing that the brothers are going to do today for good in this episode. He's going to, he uses everything for his good because he is the master. And also because while we as humans look at the outside, God looks at the inside. Yes, and he knows worried about our hearts. On. And we just can't even fathom. All right, let's talk about our main man, the character Joseph. The main he is man. our last patriarch in the Bible. Here come the patriarch. That's right. After this, the story will follow the 12 tribes of Israel that come from these 12 sons. Joseph is very different from the other three patriarchs. 
And he is not one because he's not in the line of Christ. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are all in the line of Christ, not Joseph. Also, Joseph's life, more than the others, and I'm going to get to this in a couple chapters, foreshadows Christ. He is a beloved son, and he is perse- he is a persecuted savior who rescues his people. Just like Christ is the beloved son of God, and he will, he is persecuted, and he will save his people. So for the first time, we're going to get this example of us, of what Christ could look like. Of course, Christ far sur- surpasses Joseph, but we're going to get this picture. And I'm going to get into this later, how Joseph is really a conglomerate of his forerunners. He kind of has a lot of the gifts of all three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob rolled up into one man, which kind of tells us, wow, if Christ had the gifts of everything, you know, the son of God, he's just going to rock. He's going to be that perfect savior. He also is the best example of the four patriarchs of how an individual can express their faith through difficult life circumstances. Joseph is going to be persecuted and really persecuted and mm-hmm. drop to into the pit where the other the other three really didn't have that experience. They kind of had difficulties, but they're not going to be persecuted like Joseph. Is. Oh, so but it's going to work out so well. It's going to work him. out for good. All right, let's start now with the next chapter, 37, which I I titled The Code of Contention. This is our first introduction to the young life of Joseph. Chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. So Joseph's going to report on Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, that they're just not behaving. I don't know what they were doing. They're not behaving. However, this is reporting or tattling. We're not sure. Oh gosh, I get that report all the time. But it is strike one with the brothers. He's doing this to me. (laughs) And it may not have been in that tone. We just don't know in the commentaries (laughs) fight about this. Well, that's the tone I get. (laughs) The commentaries fight about it. But in any case, it's strike one with the brothers. Verse three. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he had made him an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to them. Remember, Rachel, Joseph's mother, was the favorite wife. After she died, it may be that Jacob transferred this favoritism to Joseph. Maybe he looked like Rachel. Maybe Mm -hmm. this is... You know, there's Benjamin, but Benjamin's a baby, but maybe Joseph is like this remnant to him of of Rachel. Clearly, the favoritism was not a secret in the family. Favorite son gets you strike two with the brothers. <laughs> yeah. Now, Joseph's contentious coat. Let's just talk about this. The coat was princely, is the translation for that, and not meant for manual work. We're not sure if it was colorful or not. So, you know, the whole Broadway Come show on, does Broadway. it. It may, I know, may not be true. But it may have been long and embroidered. And because it wasn't meant for manual labor, you would wear a short coat if you were kind of chasing sheep. It may have implied that Jacob had determined that this son was to have his blessing and the birthright to become a great nation, especially because Reuben, by this time the eldest, had already committed incest. So he's out. And Simeon and Levi murder. So they're out. 
Now, so those, those are all the sons of Leah. There's, they're Leah's sons. The other wife. And they are the oldest. And usually, of course, the birthright and the blessing would pass to the oldest. To the oldest. Mm-hmm. But because these three are already out, it's already kind of like, well, hey, who's going to get it? Though I don't have to give it to the firstborn. So, firstborn, so maybe I'm going to give it to Rachel's firstborn. And again, not the fact that they did those bad things is not what disqualified them here. It has to be that there was something in their heart that was not pure enough to deserve it. In Jacob's mind and God's, it's probably like, this is not the man for the hour. Now we're going to see with Judah. He does make some mistakes. and AKA the line of Christ. Yeah, so just know that's coming. But in any case, here's where we are with Joseph. He's got several strikes with the brothers already, and he is clearly the favorite, which does create family problems. But of course, Jacob had been the favorite, so he really doesn't know any better. He's going to have a favorite too. He was Rebecca's favorite. Verse five, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, oh, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. The hate is growing. Joseph starts dreaming and telling the family of his visions of dominion over them. Divine dreams strike three with the brothers. The divine dreams confirm to Joseph that he will be served by his brothers. And that's okay. God used divine dreams to to tell people things back then. And it was a thing. I mean, there's others documented. However, it wasn't very wise to share this information with them. (laughs) I tell my daughter this all the time when it comes to her older brother. (laughs) Just because you know doesn't mean you have to share, but you lose your advantage when you play all your cards. (laughs) Possibly in this case. (laughs) Yes, it it grew the hatred. (laughs) Verse nine. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, so whoops, 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 whoops. Over the top, strike four with the brothers. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I just picture Joseph, you know, in this dream that is so real to him that he went and he feels like he's connected with God, that he wakes up excited Mm -hmm. and he's got to tell people and the people in his lives are his dad and his brother. And so he tells them. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. However, the inclusion of the sun and the moon representing Jacob and Rachel is too much for the brothers. It is. It symbolizes that Joseph. Joseph will supersede his parents in significance, which was a little dishonoring back then. Even Jacob then has to rebuke Joseph for the boasting about his parents and his 11 brothers all bowing down to him. It's a little over the top. Little do they know the reason he had this dream, which would come to fruition, was much different than just them bowing down. Correct. So while Joseph's dream comes true, his expression is either, like I would side, very naive. You know, he's just excited and he's young. God's talking to him and he Mm -hmm. feels moved. Or he's being surprised. 
superior. And surprisingly, the commentaries don't fault him for his expression. So perhaps he said it without boasting and he really just was super excited and felt like it was so real to him, so big to him that he had to share it. I do think this communications lesson 101. If you want someone to receive a divine truth, you should wait for divine timing. And sometimes it's better not to get, to like you said, play all your cards and wait for God's perfect timing. Yeah, but still, that's not to minimize the fact that if you are passionate about something, yeah. gosh, shout it from the rooftops shout it from the because roof. that passion is infectious to others. There's a tension there, you know, and it'll it'll put off some people, but some people it may really excite. And it does say that Jacob pondered it. He kept it in mind like okay, what is God talking to my child? And we're going to see other examples of that in the future where like with, in the case of Samuel, um, they he had to really think about it. Okay, God's calling him and I got to recognize this. However, Joseph's lack of sensitivity does lead to a bitter envy and hatred. The brothers are going to let that spiral out of control. And this next part I called the, the brothers barter and Reuben resists. Verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Okay, so let's analyze this scene just a little bit more because I want you to appreciate a few things. When he says, go to see the, to the welfare of your brothers, and of course he responds, very well, I'll go. This was not a run upstairs and check on your brother kind of request. This is not your typical dad <laughs> request that you might make. Shechem was 50 miles away and Dothan another 14. This is not a simple check. It's more like a four day trek. So he's sending this 17 year old kid you know, 60 miles away, 50, 60 miles away, just to check on his brother. So there was something else going on there. And isn't Shechem also where Dinah was raped and then they killed all the guys? Exactly. Yeah. Good point. I didn't think of that. So Jacob trusted Joseph. Joseph is clearly not a little kid. And this foreshadows what will in time will actually come to pass, that Joseph will not only see to the welfare of his brothers, but to all of Israel. He's a responsible young man. Yes. The kid has a go on. On. Also, let's talk about God's providence in this. Working behind the scenes, a man finds Joseph wandering and happened to know that the brothers had moved on and where they went. And I say that only because what, what man intends for harm, God is going to use for good. God knew that Joseph was being sent on this mission and he wanted Joseph to find his brothers. He knew what was going to happen. And he providentially, there was some man who just happened to knew, no, because there was no Google, there was no texting, there was no anything. So it was kind of random that this man finds Joseph wandering and says, I wonder if that points man, him in the right direction. In air quotes, was an angel. angel. Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. All right. Continuing on in verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in a distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. I want to cover a sin here and it's envy. And I want to compare it to coveting because we hear a lot about coveting 
but we don't hear as much about envy and they are different. And I found this, Alan Plantinga describes envy like this. To covet is to want what somebody else has. What an envier wants is not what another has. What an envier wants is for the other not to have it. Oh, which one of those is worse? An envy. <sighs> so envy also carries personal resentment for the person who has what the envier doesn't want them to have. Which is a seed of hate that can grow. Yeah. In this case, Joseph has the favor of their father and the brothers don't want Joseph to have it. And they, jo- and they don't like Joseph. In fact, they hate him because of it. It's a personal resentment. Now, I want to, I want to, Think of that. I want to get to that because note, in our day, coveting is a constant temptation. Advertising bombards us with images that Nothing stimulate wrong us. With advertising. It's no, I know you're in advertising. It's a desire <laughs> for stuff. But think about this. If ads are the genesis for coveting stuff, then I might suggest that social media is the genesis for envy. Mm. It's more social media is more about the person. It can be a great temptation to envy others on social. It is hard to look at social every day and see others happy if we are not. For example, to watch a friend find love and marriage when you're single. You may not want her fiance. You don't covet her fiance, Mm -hmm. but it's painful to see her be happy because you're not. To watch a friend's child get an award. You may not covet their child. You don't want their child. You love Mm -hmm. your children, but it's painful to see her have that. Or to watch your friend skydive. You may not want to skydive, but it makes you feel less to not be the adventurous one. So you wish they weren't. It's, I hope I'm being clear. It's about, it's about starting to envy the person to the point that you don't like them and you don't like that they're happy. You don't like that they have a life or something that you wish you had. You don't necessarily want what they have, but it's, it's more, it's complicated. Yeah. I see what you're saying and I'm not minimizing your um, interpretation there. It's just for me, when I see people, I'm not wanting them not to have it. It just makes me feel bad about myself that I don't have it. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the same True. thing or different. That's a, that's that is different. That's more. But that's, some that, people might actually not want them to have it. That that's yeah. You're right. That's not envy. That's again. But that's that's FOMO. That's you're missing yeah, out. FOMO, Why God is my life less? That's my personal cross to bear. Right. But what is yours? So when you go on social media, ask yourself then: Is it a seed for envy or coveting? Neither of which are a good thing, and both of which could lead to negative thoughts at least in your life. So how can you break that pattern? And here's here's where it gets really ugly as it did with them. It can damage relationships. Mm-hmm. And because they were envious of their brother, they began to hate him. And we heard that read twice. They hated him even mm-hmm. more. They hated him. Then they hated him even more. And God wants us to love our neighbor. That is the first and greatest commandment. Actually, the second. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the question is, do you covet? Or worse, and I do think it's worse, it it's is. envy because it's against people. And we're commanded to love others. So That's just something point. to check that made me think of this kind of whole, they really began to hate their brother, which is 
gut Super check shy. moment. Yeah, exactly. Verse 21. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Love this typical firstborn response. You know, oh gosh, if when we get to dad, he's, he's going to hold me responsible. Yeah. <laughs> no, he <laughs> so he Reuben resists and he intercedes for Joseph, which again, makes sense. Jacob will hold Reuben responsible. When you have 11 kids, you're going to look to the oldest 12. Benjamin was not with the brothers at this time. He's still a little kid. You're going to look at the oldest and go, what the heck happened? So your interpretation of this is not that Reuben actually might have some Feelings. pure heart there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's more his He's own worried about worry himself. about himself getting in trouble. <laughs> exactly. Reuben is so all, much hope for a minute. He's the only one thinking at this point. The other <laughs> brother's hatred has escalated out of control. It appears Reuben is trying to create an opportunity for them to cool off. Let's just put him in the cistern. <laughs> Y'all just cool off like a cistern is a safe place. It's like when I put my dog in his crate. Exactly. It's time for you to think about what you've done. <laughs> Let's just all cool off, put you in the cistern before they do something stupid and irreversible like death, just like Cain did with Abel. He, he was hot and he was angry and he was envious. Cain was, and he just killed his brother. And then there's no going back. There's, you know, you, can, you can't bring that life back. So a cistern was just a dried up well. It would have been okay, safe for him for a time. Miserable. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. The brothers agreed. Love this. I've read a lot about this. It gave me a little insight. So first thing I want to point out is Judah takes the stage for the first time, and he's going to play a big role in the future. So we want to note that here in chapter 37, he's going to take the stage again in 43 and in 44, and he's going to play a bigger role in Joseph's story each time. Each each time the role is going to get longer and more important with the last in chapter 44 playing a pivotal role in the future of all of Israel. Remember, Leah had the first four sons, four of them, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, then Judah. With Judah, Leah finally stopped trying to please Jacob and instead praised God, naming this son Judah, this time I will praise the Lord. So again, you see from the very beginning, from the heart that Leah had, Mm. that this son is going to be a little better than the first three. A little more special. Yeah. He is our future hero, the man through whom a savior will be born, but he is going to have a bumpy road to get there. Verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold them for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Couple fun facts. This may not have been quite 
quite as harsh as we think it is because the Midianites were descendants of Abraham and Keturah, while the Ishmaelites were descendants of Abraham and Hagar. These people were all half-brothers of Isaac and therefore all second or third cousins of Jacob's sons. It is thought that the Midianites were actually the merchants of the Ishmaelites and transporting their goods. So when the brothers looked up and recognized they were Ishmaelites, it's not like they were selling them to total strangers. Do you think they would have known who he was? Well, I don't know. You know, it was a small place back then. Could they have had a little chat? Oh, like you're so-and-so, so-and-so. So you're like a second or third cousin of ours. Okay, so they would have kind of known that everybody was basically. In any case, it was a little closer than if you just, it was like some random person on, on the street. So, you know, the other thing is they weren't really selling him to make money because to them, 20 shekels, they were a wealthy they family. Wouldn't have been a lot. Way, right? Yeah, they just, they would just decided not to kill him, but we want to be rid of him. And truthfully, I don't know. They were out of their heads. It sounds to me like they were intoxicated because how did they think they were going to explain <laughs> this to Jacob? You know, like seriously? We just, yeah, I don't know. So next, next scene I titled, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Joseph is now gone. Verse 29. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Good, good reaction for Reuben. Tearing your clothes is like a, 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 a... What you do if you're grieving, like you're upset, it was meant to express something. But as you pointed out earlier, he was probably grieving for his own hide and not necessarily for his brothers. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is trouble. He's this worried is about bad. Like, this is really bad. My, my question was, what are the others thinking at this point? At least Reuben is appropriately distressed. His brother is gone. By the time we get to chapter 42, 21, the conviction, we're going to see that the conviction becomes real for all of them. Because they say to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was. Hey, this is the only insight we get about poor little Joseph's reaction to all this. Anybody we saw felt how bad. distressed we wa- he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. So that's, I'm, going to, I'm giving you a little hint about what in the future they regret it. So I just, it blows my mind that the scene went down where poor little 17-year-old has, you know, eight brothers throwing him into the sister and he's going, please, please don't kill me. What were they thinking? But at this point in the story, they may not have regret, but they are going to try to cover it up. (laughs) They are, after all, Jacob's boys, and they're going to fall back on that family gifting for strategy and deception. Rather than going and trying to buy Joseph back, they choose to lie. Verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it and see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. 
Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. A pattern's growing ever clearer as our story of this family jumps from generation to generation. And if you don't understand what that pattern is, if you don't understand when I say Jacob's, you know, they're Jacob's sons and they're family doing the same history. thing, go back and listen to the first to the episodes before this because this is a pattern of individuals God choosing individuals who make mistakes. And the looming question in our narrative has changed from whether God can deliver the covenant benefits, the land, the nation, the savior that he promised to whether God can use this family to deliver the covenant benefits because oh, he can. how can God possibly bless all the nations on earth through a family that is constantly falling and failing because of the heart? Well, thankfully for, for this brother and for us, what man intends to harm, God can use for good. Hallelujah. And next week, we have the stories of two very wily women. One who gets what she wants and one who doesn't. And these women are going to try to get what they want with Joseph and Judah, our two looming stars in the story of God's people. What's a club without friends? If you're enjoying the Bible Book Club, why don't you share it? And then you can say, Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. New episodes drop every Monday and get all episodes now on Amazon Music. As always, head over to SusanMe.com slash Bible Book Club for show notes from today's episode. Bible Book Club is hosted by Susan Merrill and Heather Rubio. Edited by Buck Buchanan. Produced by Haley Mawatt.